Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. Today, I'm joined by Linda Malone, a high performance and a high converting conversion copywriter for B2B brands and a marketing strategist at the Copyworks. Linda, thanks for coming on the show today. I'm so excited for this conversation. Thanks for having me on. I know we've been connected on LinkedIn for a long time and we've interacted on a bunch of our content together. And one of the things that always has stood out to me about your content is you're always thinking so critically about how can we tell better stories? How can we you know, make our brand better? How can we communicate our product to the world better? And you share such wonderful stories. I am thrilled to have you on the show today. So uh, to discuss all things copy and content. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it's going to be fun. There's a lot to unpack, that's for sure. Yeah. So for the uninitiated, and I don't even know if I could answer this question, what is the difference between copy and content? It's interesting because I get this question so much, even from people who are in marketing. There's a little bit of an overlap, but in general, content is copy or it's articles, blogs, anything that is written to entertain or inform, where copy has a purpose, where it's to inspire people to take action. And so typically it's to inspire people to buy something, but not necessarily. It could be to sign up for something. It could be to join a group. I mean, anything that just has a purpose for that copy. And it's also that content showcases your brand and your expertise, but it doesn't need to incite action like copy does. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when somebody writes a post on LinkedIn, but they add in, I don't know if this is semantics, if they add in like a call to action or they're writing the post to try and get somebody to click a link or buy something, is that copy or is that content or is it both? Am I just kind of combining things? <laughs> I think it's sort of that that blurred line, you know, it's because there is overlap. There's no distinct. I mean, the thing is, when you hire a copywriter, you hire a copywriter because you want to get something done. And usually it's to sell, increase revenue, that sort of thing. When you hire a content writer, it's usually people will look for someone to write blogs for them or informational articles on the site. So, you know, LinkedIn could be either one, LinkedIn posts. It's usually a combination. Most of the time it's content more than copy, though. The thing I hear with a lot of marketers is, Obviously, everybody has a content strategy now. <laughs> everybody wants to put out content, but then there's these like specific points in time or specific actions, like a LinkedIn post or a landing page, in which they're stepping out of just, oh, I'm creating content for XYZ purpose. And I'm really thinking about how do I, as you said, how do I get somebody to take action off of that? That's a really useful distinction. Thank you. Yeah, and it's a question I get a lot, which surprises me. Because, But then again, I was a content writer for like 20 years without knowing that's what I was doing. I just wrote articles. You know, and at that time, content wasn't really, I wasn't doing a lot of online. So it was a lot of print publications. So, but that's content. And in fact, one of the things I wanted to do on LinkedIn, and I still may do it, is to take a piece of content 
and show how I would rewrite it to be more of a copywriting approach. I would tune into that tomorrow. Okay. Because <laughs> I was thinking I that. of that. Yeah, I could do that. And it, that would make it really clear what the different approach would be. Let's talk about content for a second. And then we'll talk about copy. When people go out and create content, I see a lot of people sort of stop themselves short. They don't know where to get started. How about? And especially for our sales reps and our account executives that listen into the show, one of the things you do when you do social selling, obviously, is you create content, but you're not a content marketer and you're not putting stuff out on the blog. So for somebody who's just getting started with creating content, what are your go-tos? Like, How do you get started when you create a piece of content? What are the questions you're asking when you start writing that you're trying to answer? The number one thing is what are people talking about? You know, so that's why I go through my LinkedIn feed first to see what is getting people fired up. And it's also, you know, what's trending, like, for example, TikTok is huge now. As I've said a million times, I'm not on it yet, (laughs) but but I know, I mean, it's such a huge topic. So anything to do with TikTok, anything, you know, I mean, that's my number one approach would be that, or I go through I use Shield Analytics for my LinkedIn post. So I will see what had the most views, what had the most activity, and then maybe do something related to that or just, yeah, use that kind of as a a launching point. I love that because you're sort of like, you're trying to insert yourself into that conversation, right? You're trying to get yourself in it. So when, when you have an understanding of, what you want to talk about, the idea you have, or like what people are are discussing out in the world. How do you overcome like blank page syndrome? At least that's what I call it, where <laughs> you have that cursor blinking. Like, how do you just get going? Is it writer's block? Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you get past writer's block, Linda? I want to know. <laughs> you know what? I never, I shouldn't say never. I rarely have that. Hmm. Because of my mind is always going like to a point where it's annoying to a point where I'm I'm like medication for it. <laughs> I have a little <laughs> bit of OCD. Well, it's not mental health month anymore, but I do have a ton of ideas. What I do is um, I have a folder actually right next to me when I'm really stuck and it's articles. Uh, I'll go online with, I do have some folders online and I collect ideas and that's a lot of times what I'll, I'll go to, but usually it's, it's not that hard. Or I'll just, if I'm really lazy, I'll take something I've done before and repost it, do a different, you know, a starting point. But I don't like doing that. They tend to not get as much attention. And I think it's because people know that I'm being lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it's like refurbished, but. When you're writing a piece of content, like what are the frameworks that you're using? Like when you're actually putting something on a page, I know that every writer has their own process especially when creating a piece of LinkedIn content or a piece of, or a TikTok or whatever, but we'll stick with LinkedIn for now. The, what's the formula you use or like, what's the framework you use to create that post? What are the key ingredients in a good LinkedIn post when you're writing content? The number one thing is the headline, the first, the opening line. So that's like the headline on a piece of copy or the subject line of an email. There's something that like 80% of, you know, people will just read that. And so if that headline or that first sentence doesn't grab people, like I've written LinkedIn posts, for example, that 
I think should be getting more attention than they are. And I will go back and change the opening sentence to see if it works. And usually it does. I can do something more with that. Like today, I posted about my first three clients were people who didn't know me. They were people who were friends of mine and the whole post is about trust. and You have to have that trust in order for people to buy from you. I was going to start it different in a different way. I forget what it was, but I thought, no, it's just not catchy enough. So I started with that and then pulled people in. Once people start reading, it's easy to keep them reading as long as you keep it interesting enough. But it's that first starting out of the gate and it's breaking it up into smaller chunks. Like you'd never, I don't see a lot of people doing this anymore, but you don't want to have like a huge block of copy, you know, with shorter sentences vary the sentence length. And this is one thing I see a lot is people use the same, usually it's a run-on sentence for a whole paragraph. And then it's another run-on sentence. But you break it up with short sentences because that's the equivalent of talking in a monotone. It's like, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it's the same, someone I knew years ago who was a musician, he said, he says, your copy has good a good beat to it. Like there actually is a rhythm to your writing. And so you want to vary the sentence length Sometimes even just a single word is enough for to stand on its own. So just give it like a visual appeal as well as the reading appeal. I love the idea that rhythm too, that you're not just trying to break up sentences. You're thinking like, how does this sound out loud? And even like reading it to yourself, does this work? Does this, so it's not just uh, Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. I don't think we see that that much anymore. But it's a good like gut check to have. So obviously, as a copywriter and somebody who specializes in direct response, I think I'm sure that you think and work a lot on like getting somebody's attention. So what are your pointers for like writing that headline, that hook, that get people to stop scrolling? Like, are there things you found that work really well? Or are there like go to's you have to say, here's how I'd start this first sentence and to really get somebody's attention. I think the most effective thing is to say something controversial or something that goes against what people would think. One of my viral posts, this wasn't actually controversial, but it was intriguing. I said, uh, you know, a few years ago, I was $42,000 in debt. I mean, who's not gonna read that? Like what in the world happened? And that was about how we spent all this money on courses and I got into, you know, a lot of trouble and then how I pulled out of it and what I learned from it. So a surprising fact, a startling question, like another that my viral post on on the F word, like how do you, it was a poll and I had 100,000 views on it. I just asked people, is profanity, actually I started the the post, I said F bomb and I put the bomb little emoticon on it. And uh, I said, is it appropriate for marketing? And I rattled a lot of cages with them. I mean, to the part some people said, this is the dumbest question I've ever seen on LinkedIn ever. But they commented, so I didn't care, you know, and it got a lot. The result was that, yeah, it's usually not appropriate. Um, but so you ask a startling question or you, it's about telling a story that it's a lot of it's testing, too. It's like, what are other people doing? It's usually somewhat controversial, though. It goes against what you would think. I think is probably the biggest tip I can give. I was even thinking about 
like every morning I do engagement strategy. So I'm always scrolling through just the feed for a little bit to see what people are posting and liking and engaging on some stuff. I think you're dead on though, that even the posts that aren't, I don't know, taking a controversial point of view on something, like they're disagreeing with the industry, they're at least, their first sentence is always something that's like an attention grabber or breaks my expectation of what that first sentence should be of the post. And I do always stop scrolling when I think. About, now, I may not always comment, but I at least stop scrolling and think, oh, do I want to read more of this? And most of the time I do. So yeah, something to really, that's a such a good starting point to think like, how can I get somebody to stop scrolling? What's going to grab their attention? And based on too, what you brought up of like all of the listening and thinking, oh, like, what are people talking about anyways, and how to insert yourself into that. Hmm. That's a... It's not always easy. I probably take more time. Well, even if, like, I really don't do direct response ads as much as I do. Like, the difference, just to real quick side note. So direct response would be an ad that you see anywhere that addresses anyone, like a Burger King ad. I mean, they're not taking into account, you know, who's looking at it. It's, it's out there. And so what I do is more geared to you know, the client specific audience. And so it's geared to convert and it's, there's a whole decision-making psychology background behind it and everything too. So it's a little bit different, but yeah, when you come up with a headline like that, it's almost like you are creating an ad for your post. Yeah. You have to stop people because I mean, there's so much now, you know, they say there's what two, 3% of people post on LinkedIn that are actually LinkedIn. There's a ton of content on LinkedIn. So I find that's hard to believe. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, how many do you actually stop? I go through and I see if there's somebody I know, just to support them, if nothing else, I will stop, you know, and just leave a comment. You know, I say, oh, Mar- Morgan Smith comment. I left a post, a better comment because, <laughs> because I know it's going to be something good. But yeah, that's the other thing is that you know people and you'll stop to comment or look at what they post. Let me ask you a couple related questions. Like, what do you think are appropriate calls to action on content? And maybe we don't have to stick exclusively with LinkedIn stuff here. But as I was thinking about like, oh, we have copy stuff that's like directly geared to try and generate a response or to try and convert. And then we have content, which sort of sits adjacent to that. One thing that I've begun to see people do at the the bottom of their posts is like hit that bell or like follow me for XYZ or... I know it's pretty common or it has been on some accounts where somebody will comment like their course in the comments to be like, hey, if you like this, you know, buy my course. Do you think that, I don't know if the right term is appropriate, but like, do you find that those things perform well or do they underperform because we haven't like written the content with that goal of conversion in mind and we're sort of just slapping on something at the end of it to try and get somebody to do something? I don't know if you have a perspective on that. I don't, but I'm curious myself because I think a call to action on LinkedIn should be something that's free. I mean, I, but that's just me. I'm sure there's people who do, you know, really well selling courses. I usually ask for engagement on my podcast because I am trying to build that audience. And that doesn't cost anybody anything. Like, I'd like to ask some people who are doing that how... I did ask one person who always posts, and it's for his newsletter. I said, do you always do... Do you always add this onto your post? And he says, I do it every single post, and it really helps me to build my subscriber list. I mean, again, it's free. I don't know if you're selling something, if it would 
I think people might be a little turned off. I mean, speaking for myself, it's like, I don't know. I don't really come there to buy anything. I want to see what you're up to. Or, <laughs> I mean, is that just me? Yeah. But I think you're onto something with like building that permission first. And like, what are people's expectations on LinkedIn? I would expect that somebody would be, it's a lot less to ask somebody to follow because that's free or engage in a podcast because that's kind of a, a one link click or to sign up for a newsletter if the content like resonated with you. I think I'm maybe in the same school of thought with you where I kind of raise my eyebrows. We did a couple of tests on some of the paid like call to action, like, hey, buy this sort of thing. And it didn't do much for us. <laughs> I'll be honest. I think I remember. Yeah, because I did say that you had a course. You had, um, there was something because I did click on it and I looked at it and I just, there wasn't anything that I just didn't know if it was something I needed. So I didn't, you know, do anything Exactly. And that's where it's like, unless you have it like really strategically thought out, I don't know, it just seems easier to make free calls to action and help people get to know you more. Sometimes, yeah, I was just going to add, sometimes it's frustrating. We talk so much about, you know, providing value, providing value. And then I sometimes get tripped up with, well, at what point do you ask for something? You know, like in copywriting, (laughs) there's this general rule with emails, with email sequences that it's, one, two, three value emails. And then the fourth one is an ask because research has shown that after that, people really drop off if they're in an email sequence. Like after the fourth email, they tend to just not open them any longer. So you really have to get people at that at that point. So, you know, LinkedIn isn't like that. It's not a sequence. I mean, it's people voluntarily decide what they want to read. But I just, I wonder, you know, how that would work. I don't know. Sounds like we have a research project to conduct. I, I was about to say, we got to go do some experiments now. You're getting my it's brain juices flowing. <laughs> That's great. So honestly, the thing that just came to me as you were speaking is to sort of back out a little bit and, and think about copy and content in general. So I know you've worked in a ton of industries and you've only hinted at your background so far in this interview. What are some of the common mistakes that you see companies or people make when it comes to creating content or creating copy for their marketing efforts? Like, what are the things that always seem to pop up that you just kind of shake your head at and say, ah, if only they knew better? (laughs) There's a big one. And this is something I've seen over and over again, is that companies don't have a solid value proposition. So this is what differentiates them from their competitors. And I've been wrestling with a couple of you know, new clients just trying, because I, I have a value proposition audit that I do. And that, when I do that for a client, it forms the basis and foundation for everything I write for them. If they decide to skip that step, which now I've made sort of a lighter version of it, but it's so much harder because I'm still doing all the research, but I have to piece it together in a different way. There's just not enough. And I just went through this with a client and it was more meetings than we should have had to have, you know, to get the voice right because we skipped that step. So, and a lot of times companies either don't think it's important or they think they have it nailed down when it's something that has come about through a brainstorming meeting within a boardroom without any outside. It's like, you know, oh, this sounds good. And somebody else says, oh, well, let's do this and let's tweak it this way. And 
everything should be based on what your customers and potential customers or clients have said in order to create that. And then just overall, it's kind of a offshoot of that is not knowing what their customers really want and you know, what are their challenges? Because if you're in a, this is a constant thing I see is that when you're in a, a company, you tend to, you have just a myopic view of what your customers are thinking. And, you know, we say this all the time in LinkedIn, you've got to talk to your customers. And it's hard because people don't want to talk to you. I mean, in general, <laughs> we don't, right? Like usually when I want to interview customers, I will ask for 12 contacts. And if I get three people to talk to me, that's a good number. Because People are busy. What's in it for them sort of thing. I mean, you can offer like an Amazon gift card, but that, you know, a person's time is more valuable than anything that you're going to really put a $25 gift card on for the most part, but they might do it if they feel like, all right, this is really important to them. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then not using um, data to decide your content strategy too is, is a big thing and not tracking the results or the performance this I find a lot with startups or new companies. They don't have any data yet. You say data or data? I think it's data. <laughs> both. I'm okay with both. I'm not a stickler for those things. I. <laughs> you know what I mean? Numbers. You know what? Yeah. What's working? What's not working? Or they rely too much on SEO. SEO is important, but when you have a site that's written completely based on SEO, it's really obvious. Because I know I just redid somebody's site who had hired an SEO copywriter. And the same phrase appeared over and over and over. But what happens is, so, okay, Google attracts you to the page. And then what happens when you get there? If the copy isn't conversion, you know, slanted or conversion optimized, they're not going to do anything once they get there. So it's like, okay, great. Google, you know, let everyone know where we're here. But then, then what? That's so interesting on that last point, as we sort of dive into the more copy side, which is that, you know, content gets eyeballs. And if we think of SEO blog, optimized blogs and pages as sort of the content angle of putting yourself out there or LinkedIn posts or whatever. But then it sounds like that there are specific steps that you need to take that are different than the processes you're using to create content in order to make those landing pages, those home pages, the whatever else, generate a direct response at like a high percentage. And what are those things? <laughs> Tell me, Linda. I want to know the secrets of the universe. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that, but I could tell you a little bit about copy. <laughs> well, the whole thing with, with conversion copywriting is that I take into account the reader's level of awareness. So this is where are they in their in their decision-making journey. So in other words, I always use the analogy of a fitness person. So somebody who's out of shape doesn't care about getting in shape. They're just not concerned. They, they want to eat what they want to eat. They're unaware. Okay, so that's an unaware person who just doesn't care. A pain-aware person, which is what most people come to a site for. They know that they need to do something. They don't know what the solution is. They don't know who can give it to them but they're starting their search. And the third one is, now I'm going to confuse all the awareness, um, there's pain aware, there's, <laughs> there's solution aware. They know there's a solution. And so now they're shopping. And then product aware, I'm probably messing these up because I have this in my notes. When they know that you have the solution, but they're still not sure if they're the perfect 
person if you're an exact fit. And then most aware is when they, okay, you're the one that I want to pay you to, to help me with this. And now it's a matter of negotiating. Is there a, you know, a payment plan? Is there, like, that's where you want to get people. So every page that I write takes into account where they're coming from. So in other words, if it's somebody's coming from a Facebook ad, which a lot of times this is what attracts people to a particular landing page, they are paid aware. So they know, okay, I have this problem. I want to resolve it. And so they're looking. Just a side note, a homepage, and this is something I learned from working with a web developer, which I wasn't completely clear on. Homepage is very different from a landing page. So your homepage is the hardest to write because people can come from anywhere. They could have found you through Google. They could have come to you through a Facebook ad. Usually not. Usually you have a specific landing page for a Facebook ad. But the homepage has to take into account every level of awareness. So you have to write it in such a way that it captures everyone's different levels of attention. So this is why we pop out headlines. They're called crossheads, actually, because most people will skip and they'll like, you know, I do this, like you get the headline. Okay. And then you look for the bigger words, you know, the quotes that are popped out. And then if that's interesting, yeah. And then you go back and you read the fine print. So there's an art and science to the whole you know, to writing a page. It's not just, and it's to pull them through the different levels of decision-making, like a sales page. That's why sales pages are so long because you're taking people through all those levels. Like, okay, I understand your pain. Here's a solution. Um, here's why it could work for you. Here's why we're the people. So that's why, you know, people say, oh, sales pages are so long. They work. They're proven to convert much higher than shorter sales pages because you give people that time to go through each of those stages. That's interesting. Even thinking about like mapping your copy on the page to where somebody is in their buying journey, whether they are solution aware or product aware or just pain aware, or uh, likely you're not too many unaware uh, people are visiting your site. So one thing that stands out to me from that process is like, how do you balance those things? Like, what is there a formula in terms of, is it kind of like merging the data point you made? Is it based on the data you have about what sorts of users are visiting your site? And so you're building more copy toward pain-aware users, for example, versus product-aware users? Or do you just go for like a good mix between different things? I'm thinking sort of at, at a larger level instead of just one landing page or another, like in terms of a whole site or in terms of a whole campaign, is there a balance between those different levels and and like what percentages maybe even <laughs> should do you shoot for? Do you have a rule around that? A lot of the people that I write for are they're placing Facebook ads. Like right now, I have three clients that are coming from Facebook ads. So they're going to a specific landing page. They are pain aware. Somebody like that, you can introduce the product a lot quicker or earlier in the page. For example, if you go to a homepage, so you don't really know this person or offer or service, and the heading, the hero section, that big section at the top of the page has a button that says buy now. And you don't even know anything about that person or service. If you click on it, because we like to click on things, it's just human nature. So you click on it, it takes you to a sales page. You're not ready to buy, you just leave. You know, so instead of doing something like that, 
I would suggest doing what's called a, a call to value. So it could be, and you've probably seen this, you may even have it on your own side, I don't know. If, if you click the button, it takes you a different part of the page. So instead of an actual pitch, you're gonna get more information that will help you make a decision. Because that's the thing, copy is really just to help people make a decision. The decision could be that it's not, they're not in the right place. You're not the right person for them. And that's fine. It's helping them decide that. So I'm not sure, you know, how to answer your question exactly because it's really, it depends on the analytics. Like that's why I like my clients to use the hot jar. If you're familiar with that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. And you can see where people are going. You can see what page they're getting stuck on. It's really a matter of looking at, you know, doing surveys, talking to people. It all comes together. There's no real one one answer or one analytic. It's all of it waiting through. That's why it takes four to six weeks to, for me to come up with a value proposition for all the research. It's not something that happens like in a week. It takes a long time. And do you think that people rush that? Or I'm sure that people do rush that process all of the time because they feel so uh, anxious to get something on the page. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a waste, you know, because I try to explain that even just getting people to talk to you, if you're going to set up interviews with people, there's no way everyone's going to be available that week. It'll be two weeks out, it'll be three weeks out. I mean, it that alone takes time. But then actually diving into, like, I get into all the social media. I go on Reddit. I go on Quora. What are people talking? What are they saying about? What's the unfiltered conversation about this product or service? <laughs> I love that because people don't have, like, when you talk to somebody, a lot of times they'll, they'll kind of tell you what they think they should be saying. Or they'll filter it out, or it's even worse if they're writing in a survey, because then they have time to edit, and well, it doesn't sound good. But when you get on these sites, especially Reddit. We do some social listening in the sales subreddit and like SaaS too. I was on that last week, just filtering through some keywords. And yeah, you get, you get how people feel. <laughs> <laughs> right, they don't hold back. But that's what you want. <laughs> I get the best copy ideas. Like when I see some of that, it's like, this is cold. Even on my own website, which is being revamped, by the way, it should be uh, probably next week. But the copy I wrote, my, like I hired myself to write my own copy. So everything on my own website is from conversations that I had with other people about copywriting, about and getting on sites like Reddit. And like one of the quotes was, you know, I always thought that copy was just a matter of, you know, putting things together that sounded good. And that's something that people do think. It's like, oh, this sounds great. A lot of times what sounds great doesn't convert and you can't use it. I come up with things sometimes. It's like, I really want to use this. And it's like, I ask myself, is this something somebody said? Or would they say if the answer is no, it's like, no, but then I'll save it like to think of later how ingenious it was, but didn't make it. <laughs> totally. It's interesting you bring that up too, because what I hear you're automatically doing, which I want to sort of piece apart for just our listeners is like, you're, you've built all of this insight into what people are talking about and you continue to do so. And then you're merging that with data about what's performing and what's not performing on the existing site. And then you're leveraging just the natural way that people talk about things to build your copy for the page. And so the question that I have is, I'm sure you have some preferred like frameworks for actually building that page, like the cadence to the page itself. So do you have a couple preferred, like, 
I know copywriters love their alphabet soup of acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a couple of favorite ones that you like to use when building that page, that sales page? Well, the one that everyone's heard of that we use a lot is the PAS, Problem Agitation and Solution. That's always a good one. So you present the problem and then you really kind of pour lemon juice over that paper cut and you just get them to really feel it. And then, but then you, before they're about to like get off of your page, (laughs) you tell them, but wait, there's something I can help you with. That's the easiest one. And what I like about that framework is you can use it in an email. You can use it in a LinkedIn post. You know, what is it that's bothering people? And then it's like, and then you get into is, I love using specific examples because they tend to be humorous. And even though they're just every day, it's like the Seinfeld, what they call that, just it's observational humor. It's just observing what people actually do. And then you realize how silly it is sometimes. So you do that, put something observational and then, you know, but you don't have to be like that. You can, you can resolve it. The other one, and this one's used a lot with at SAS especially, is ADA. So it's attention, interest, desire, and then action. And that one is really grabbing, and that this can also work for a LinkedIn post. You know, so you grab somebody's attention and then, you know, you make it add interest to it and desire is you make them, you know, think about what they really want out of it. And then, okay, now here's the action that you need to take. That one's pretty popular. Those two are the most popular. There's like a whole bunch of other ones and acronyms, but I usually stick with those, especially the PAS because it's easy. Yeah, and it's straightforward to use. So are there any, this is super technical, and if you're like, Morgan, (laughs) I don't know, that's totally fine. Do you have any insight into like the best sorts of calls to action on a sales page? Like, One thing I think about is sometimes people use like direct language, obviously by now is sort of the classic one on a button. Does more passive language fit too? Like um, verbs that are like explore or learn or or are those more calls to value, as you said, instead of calls to action? I don't know. I'm really just curious about this like technical, like how do you close the deal? You set it up and then what's the (laughs) thing you say to really close it all? (laughs) Here's an easy way to remember it that I use all the time is a button should complete the sentence, I want to. So if it's a sales page, I want to buy, there it is, mic drop. Uh, But that's (laughs) that's exactly, or I want to, you should learn more. A lot of times people think that's too much work. Like, what do I need to learn? It's sort of a rule that my copywriting coach said, don't say learn. Because people hate that. But, you know, on a Facebook ad, that's the only option you have for a call to act. One of the few. And you don't have a choice. But think about, yeah, really put into, you know, just think about how you would complete that sentence. I want to sign up for something. Or the other thing is, and this wouldn't fit with that I want to, a sentence completion idea, but to put it in I, I want this. Like put the word I, that converts better than leaving it out. So you've seen those those call to actions like, I'm in, I want this. I'm interested. Right. Those are good ones. And then you test them, see which one works. Always put it up against the data. I love that discipline too. You're not just, I don't know, maybe this is something you hear more from prospects who have objections to your work than your actual clients. But I always hear people sort of treat both content and copy in sort of this, oh, it's kind of willy-nilly, it's sort of fluffy, you know, you're just kind of putting words on the page. 
But really you're pointing to like, no, there's a psychological science that drives it all. Is Yeah, it's huge. And the thing is, if you do it well, it looks easy. And that's like any profession. You know, you watch anyone, professional athlete doing something, they make it look easy. And it's like with writing, you don't really notice it unless it's really bad. Like I, here's an example that actually made me laugh. There was a Facebook ad the other day for that I sp- saw for women's hair extensions. It was like a ponytail extension you could clip onto your head. And the ad said, when he's tempted by other women, you know, like you put this, like who in the world came up with that? And people in the comments were hilarious. They're like, because I like reading ads just to see what, what other people are doing. And somebody thought that was a good idea. And, and women were saying, really? So he's going to leave you, but he's going to stay because you have his ponytail extension, seriously? So <laughs> it's like, clearly there was no research done for that, but it was pretty funny for the wrong reasons. Man, that's very, (laughs) very funny. A great example of, hmm, maybe back to the drawing board on this concept. Right. (laughs) It's a matter of getting your ego out of the way, is what it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you have to listen to people, as you've been pointing to all today. What are they saying? How can we tailor it to them? I want to ask a question, and I know you may be biased because you are an external copywriter here, but what do you think are some of the pros and cons of keeping copywriters and content writers, I suppose, too, in-house on like permanent full-time roles versus hiring in somebody from the outside to help with the work? I think the biggest advantage, and I've never worked within a company as a copywriter, but the biggest advantage would be to really become enmeshed in the whole culture. Like this is something that as an outside freelancer, it's hard for me because, you know, meetings will happen without me. I always ask, hey, you know, let me sit in. And usually I'll sit in on one or two meetings, but if it's the whole marketing team, I'm not really there every day. So, because even when I work with a client, I work as if I'm working for their company. I take it very seriously and I, I want to know everything about them more than they even know, you know? So it's easier to do in a way when you're there, but as an outsider, I also have a different perspective and I'm not caught up in the boardroom talk or, or the, you know, the things that they assume that I may find out is different and I can kind of push back in a different way. It's a balance. It's hard. I mean, there's pros and cons to all of it, obviously a steady paycheck from a a regular gig. I guess would be nice. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> I've always worked for myself. So it's like, really? People get paid like consistently? What's yeah, that? every other week. What is that like? I don't know. I, that's a strange feeling, Linda. I agree. It hasn't happened. <laughs> All right. So as we kind of come to the end of the interview, we have our final question around here, our power hour question. But before we get to that, I had one more thing that, that came to mind that I wanted to ask you about copy and content. What do you think are the key ingredients that really make something sing, whether that's like content or copy? Like when you think about really great pieces of content or really effective pages of copy or sales pages or otherwise, like what are the few things you always continue to return to that say, oh yeah, this is this is going to make it work really well? Do you have key ingredients that you think about all the time? I think personal stories or, and this was something I just saw on LinkedIn today about just incorporating something that's 
personal or that people can definitely relate to. And so written conversationally, you don't ever want the person to think they're reading an ad. It should be like like reading a book that is just riveting. You know what? And I don't know what that is really. I mean, it's it's but part of it is just writing conversationally and not writing as you speak, writing as your readers and your buyers speak, because sometimes there's a difference. And just making it interesting, you know, throwing in some humor if it's appropriate. And I I don't know when it's really not. And humor doesn't have to be, you know, like laugh out loud hilarious. It could just be a little, you know, sentence that you flip a different way or something or unexpected. A little ride joke. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people will look for that because I know when I get emails like that or, you know, I'm reading copy that I know is funny, I will look for those little things and just... um don't be boring, I guess. <laughs> I mean, there's well, no that's... real secret. <laughs> Stop being boring. Yeah. Uh, that's the secret of the universe, if I've ever heard one, when it comes to content. Don't be boring. There it is. I love it. All right. So last question, uh, our power hour question. As you think about writing really good copy or writing really good content, and you only had an hour to sit down and like make the most of that hour, how would you spend that hour, Linda? If I was writing copy or content, I would spend most of it on coming up with a, a killer headline and and just um, taking it from there. Once I have a headline or an opening sentence, the rest of it just falls into place. It seems to happen. And that's why a lot of times I'll just, you know, what, how am I going to start this? And then it just comes to me. A lot of that is experience, though. Just I've been doing it for so long <laughs> you know, that it takes practice. But um Yeah, that's what I would do. Spend probably 15, 20 minutes or longer on just coming up with the headline. Or if that didn't work, I would start in the middle of the piece and then like start with something that I really wanted to write. And then sometimes a headline will come to me, then I'll go back and do the headline. So either way. Hmm, That's interesting. I like that. Maybe I'll have to use that. I love that insight. Thank you. You can steal it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, it's actually something I think about a lot because... I try not to get too routine in creating content. And like we, obviously we create a lot of content here at the B2P Power Hour. And like even hearing different ways, like, oh yeah, take that thought, start in the middle of the post, write what you want to, and then eventually come back to the top and figure out how to package it together is actually super useful. I'm definitely going to steal that. Thank you. (laughs) I do that with even my own podcast where I will wait until I do the whole interview before I come up with a title for that podcast, because I don't know what that person's going to say that, you know, that would be a selling point, like the headline that people will want to listen. That's great. Thank you for this amazing conversation today. I've learned a ton. I know there's some juicy little tidbits. uh, And so thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experience on content and copy and merging them together and all the blurred lines. So uh, where can people find you if they want to interact with you and follow you and learn from you? Well, definitely on LinkedIn. I'm on there every day. Also, my website, as I said, I'm watching, well, by the time this comes out, it should be up. The copy works, W-O-R-X.com. Yeah, and those are the two best places to find me. And my podcast too. Is uh, Can I promote my podcast? Oh, please, please. <laughs> the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast on Apple and Spotify. Take a listen, folks. We love co-promoting <laughs> shows here and getting other folks 
to each other's little shows and and uh, episodes. So, Linda, thank you again so much for this conversation. It's been great to have you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. And that is a wrap of today's episode. I hope you found some actionable advice that you can use to help you improve your copy conversions. And for even more copywriting exclusive tips, be sure to click the link in the show notes to sign up for my weekly newsletter so you don't miss a beat. And as always, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review. It really helps me out. Talk again soon.